Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's hit it! Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay. And if you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. And feel free to go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to have real conversations with all voices all around the world, big and small, from those diagnosed to those who care and serve them, to advocates, researchers, and more. Now, today is a live show, so you can always call in with any questions or comments at 323-870-4602. Again, that's 323-870-4602, and we would love to have you uh, join in. Now, I'm going to go ahead and do a few shout-outs. First of all, I have to, uh, you know, yell out to Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory. We really encourage people to check out the variety of resources, uh, large and small, around the world that can help you support anybody uh, who is dealing with dementia. Uh, you will find things on there like uh, the Memory Cafe directory, Coral Faith, who is allowing people to still download two of their apps free, Music First and Coral Faith. Uh, Tell the end of the year, uh, the Foot Bar Walker, Music Men's Minds, um, so many things. We have like 150 categories. So check it out. There's also an events calendar um, and a glossary and a blog there as well. And speaking of a calendar, on August 10th, I will be doing a virtual um, program for Artist Senior Living, and the title is uh, called Conscious Compassionate Care for Care Partners, and anyone is welcome to go. You can just sign up by going to theartistway.com forward slash care. Um, Also in November, in fact, uh, November 2nd, Together for Dementia is doing an international conference that is um, sponsored by the Dementia Research Charity Brace. And you can find out more about that by going to Alzheimer's Speaks homepage. Uh, We always try to list those items there. And then I also just recently got this notice of the Brain Donor Project. And, you know, we can't move forward if we don't know what's going on with these brains. And so it's really important for people not only with dementia, uh, but others to participate in this. And you can go to the brain, uh, it's just braindonorproject.org for more information. And my understanding, they are doing the autopsies of the brain for free, which I know when we did one on my mom, Um, I want to say it was close to $900 or $1,000. And so, you know, take advantage of that. Help move research forward. Now, let's get to our guest today in just a second. But first, I have to introduce you to the Foot Bar Walker. This is an amazing product. 
Introducing the life-changing Foot Bar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Foot Bar Walker revolutionized my care of George. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The Foot Bar Walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot Bar Walker. I just love that product. It was uh, something that was developed by two friends for two friends, and it really is something if you have anybody with mobility issues uh, to share with them. Now, today we are going to be talking about how dementia affects uh, the Asian American and Pacific Islanders communities. And we just don't hear enough about the diversity and the, the cultural differences. And so I'm really excited to have this show. And um, we have with us uh, Vince Ten, who is the co-founder and CEO of the 360 Clinic, which is a mobile medical provider making healthcare more accessible to all. Vince is also um, <clears throat> the prou- a proud board member of the Alzheimer's Orange County, um, and uh, I, I just welcome you. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you with us, Vince. How are you doing? Thank you, Lori. Thanks for having us here today. Wonderful. I'm going to introduce uh, your our co-guest here, which is Dr. Dung Trin, and he is a keynote speaker, a best-selling author, a health educator who holds leadership roles with a variety of different organizations in the community, and he is the chief medical officer at uh, the 360 Clinic as well. So welcome, Dr. Trin. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much, uh, Lori, for inviting us to uh, the show today. Looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, so am I. I. I just think there's always so much to, to learn, and that's why I love doing this show. Now, before I get into my line of questioning, I always like to ask my guests uh, one question, and that is, have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends? And Vince, I'm going to throw that to you first, if you don't mind. Yes, no problem, Lori. Um, yeah, so recently uh, my dad has been diagnosed this year with FTD and that's frontal temporal dementia, uh, officially diagnosed with the doctor, the neurosurgeon, our doctor at the uh, UCI Medical. And um, so after that, you know, it started really to hit me and to see um, what it's like to the difficulty of taking care of a um, a dementia patient and uh, to really feel for the family member, the, the caregivers of, of, of these patients. Yes. Okay, wonderful. And um, Dr. Trin, how about you? Have you been personally touched in your family or circle of friends? I've been uh, taking care of patients with uh, dementia and Alzheimer's for probably around 20 years, uh, Lori. And, um, and what's interesting is that it was never meant to be a, uh, a goal or a purpose of mine to take care of patients with memory loss. But as an internist, uh, most of my patients are in their, their older age, and I've seen them throughout the entire spectrum from uh, being completely healthy with their mind and then over the years just progressively developing these symptoms and signs. And, uh, and by default, I became somebody who focused on memory loss. And I, and I would imagine, you know, some of those patients do turn into, you have some friendships uh, just by working with them yes. for so long as well. Um, Vince, I'd like to ask you about how you were drawn into um, work with the Alzheimer's uh, Orange County group and a, and a little bit about them. Yes, so um, I've been in the healthcare space for uh, since 2007 uh, with our family business in a home health and hospice. 
uh, when I when we first started out, I was actually from uh, we, we I went out to the patient's home to do what we call explanation of benefits EOB whenever they get onto hospice, and um, a lot of our patients were uh, AAPI um, uh, community. Um, so in, when I talked to them, I really connected them to see the difficulties that they were dealing with um, on on a disease that really. Uh, in, uh, I, I, come, I come from Vietnam, so in, in our country, we, we really don't have a, a true word for Alzheimer's dementia. Um, and the patients and the family just telling me that, oh, you know, one day he's just getting older, he's losing memory because he's just getting older, and really they don't see it as a disease. They just see it as also um, an aging thing. So um, we had to, and then there was many questions where they, they asked us, you know, how do we get social workers to help out? Is there anything like disability they can claim? All those things, um, social service things. So that's why we, we really, um, I got really involved in that and really fine-tuning our services to make sure that this the needs in our AAPI uh, community. Wonderful. Thank you. And just for those that don't know, the AAPI is the Asian American Pacific Islanders community. Uh, so he doesn't have to say that every time over and over. Um, but some listeners might not know that um, that acronym. So I just wanted to um, announce that. Um, Vince, I'd also like to ask you, um, you know, and you kind of touched on this, how Alzheimer's is viewed by the AAPI group um, and why why that stigma is particularly bad within the culture itself. Um, <clears throat> I think it's so important for us to all understand our cultural differences because until we do, we really can't serve. So can you give us some some insights on that? Yes, um, even from my own family experience, it's, it's, it's difficult for my mother to even talk about this with her friends or even with her family because really it's um it's there's a stigma of feeling like that we are out of place um that that there's something wrong with our family genetics all that stuff so um, it's hard for her to talk about it and really connect with people that's been through it um you know luckily that we don't have uh, anyone else in the family that have this uh, this disease but um it's also a con about it because now we my, my mom doesn't have anyone to talk about it as well so i i really want to in, encourage more uh, open discussions about this so we can talk about it more in the group and, and really support each other um, because you never know i mean what if my neighbor next door that's in also Asian American have it as well, and it's hard for them to connect. So um, I'm really, um, really happy that uh, Dr. Trin uh, um, invited me onto to the board to be able to uh, open that dialogue and open that communication within our community. Thank you, um, Dr. Trin. What would you like to add to this? Because I'm, I'm sure you uh, you probably have some input as well, and. You know, how frustrating. I mean, I, I was just thinking when Vince was talking about, you know, there really isn't an Alzheimer's association and people don't talk about it. And, um, you know, how frustrating that must be. And uh, I would think that there must be kind of a pressure to take care of it yourself. Um, don't bother us with this because there's a, a discomfort. Is th Does that come into play? Let's see. Oh, we are not hearing him. Let's try this again. We'll try pulling you in again there, Dr. Oh. Tran. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah, I got I'm unmuted. Yeah, there is a stigma that uh, is in all communities, um, including the AAPI community. And, and that stigma is if you're given the diagnosis of dementia or Alzheimer's, that, uh, that one, it's some kind of uh, quote-unquote, you know, terminal condition. And nobody likes to be, you know, assigned that stigma uh, with that. And then the second thing is there's a perception that nothing can be done about it, which is uh, absolutely untrue as far as, uh, you know, lifestyle changes and support groups and education. 
which is why we're here having this discussion because there are so many active you know uh, activities that can be done to you know to address this condition and destigmatize this uh, with that. Oh, I so I so agree, and and you're right. Um, no matter you know what cultural background someone has, no one wants to be told that you know their life is their life is on a on a ticker. Though we all know our life is on a ticker, and and we're not going to be here forever. It's it is a, a very very interesting. Um, and the thing that nothing can be done. I think there has been a big push um, over the years, and it's kind of a marketing trend here in. The U.S., which is starting to shift, but it's it, to me in a lot of ways it was about raising money um, versus raising hope, and and I, again I see that as a as a big shift, and I think the two can live in the same space, um, but I think that 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 um, giving hope through education, through support, through lifestyle changes, all of that is is so critically. Um, valuable. And then I think you also get into, I would imagine, um, just with different languages, uh, you know, sometimes it's limited in terms of what people can participate in because they can't understand the language that is either it's written in or spoken in. And, you know, we need to be able to shift that um, to serve people better as well. So things are, are much more accessible. Um, I was going to also make one other comment regarding uh, the stigma, and this was something I found really interesting. And, and Dr. Trent, I would love your your input on this, um, and same with you, Vince, because, you know, we rolled out this Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory. Um, but one of the stigmas I didn't realize existed, and I, I kind of found out was, as I was telling people how this can be used, and we see this a site for everybody, for people with dementia, for their families, for professionals, communities, organizations, the whole nine yards, is I found that there was really this perception of, oh, this is just families just don't know this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, none of us can know all of this information. There's just way too much, and there hasn't been a place for it to be channeled to. And so it was and it hit me, you know, I cared for my mom for 30 years, but I kind of felt that at times where I was, I felt like I was put down, like I didn't, I didn't know. And yet I knew from a lot of people who were even um, amplifying that they didn't know where the resources, products and tools and, and support was either. Um, and I think that that's something that really needs to be changed. And I don't think any, any side of that should be, um, feel less than it's it's just a fact i mean this disease is really fairly recent compared to to many and it's you know we're learning so much at all the different variables and types of dementias i mean it's a very complicated disease kind of like cancer is and it's going to take time but i think it's going to take all of us working together um, to really um, fully understand the needs and what is available what works what doesn't so Dr. Tran, I'd like to throw that to you first. Have you have you seen or felt that kind of as another stigma as well, where families feel less than? Definitely, uh, especially within the AAPI uh, community. Uh, first of all, there's there's a problem with awareness. Uh, most of us, as Vince mentioned. Uh, when we develop memory loss as we get older, we just assume that it's normal. Uh, and as Vince mentioned, you know, in Vietnam, there, there isn't such a word as Alzheimer's until recent. Um, so, so awareness that first it is a problem, that memory loss is not normal as we age, uh, especially progressive memory loss over time. Um, and the second thing is, you know, what can be done about it if uh, if we are given a certain diagnosis? And and most families keep it to themselves, uh, quite honestly. It's like, you know, if mom or grandma has memory loss, okay, she has memory loss. You know, every, all the families come in, they, they pitch in to do her bills, the taxes, the, the budget. They go shopping for, you know, our family member. And, and, and it doesn't leave the family. Yeah, that's the problem is that, 
everyone suffers, family suffers in isolation. They suffer with this condition in silos. It doesn't leave the family. And, and bringing that awareness, especially through, through shows like yours, that we can deal with this as a community. And, and there's no shame in it. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of hope coming um, with these clinical trials and, and studies. And the first uh, FDA-approved medication for Alzheimer's was, I think, a month ago or so. Uh, in 18 years, uh, nothing was approved. And, <laughs> and hope is certainly here. and We need to get that message out of hope. Yeah. Though there is a lot of controversy wrapped around in uh, in that uh, new medication. And, and one of the things I'll just mention, too, is I, I think there has to become a balance between care and cure. And, um, you know, I look at um, even just the cost of the new medication, you know, $56,000, you know, annually, and that's not even the total cost with everything. But, I mean, I just think of if if someone just gave me $56,000, that would be one person, what I could do with that in terms of other types of support. And I think that that has to be elevated because we can't wait another 18 years to help people live better. Um, you know, to me, that is just so wrong. And I think we have to also, and I, and I see this verbiage changing out there too, that dementia is not normal aging, and I'll be the first to agree with that. But it is many families' new normal to live with. And with that, we have to, we, we really have to gear up and do even more and better in terms of education and awareness and, and support in different ways. And I think, I think collaborating and building coalitions with one another um, in terms of maybe not being um, from a business standpoint and an organizational side, um, not being so afraid to share the space um, because I think we can push things so much faster when we, when we work together um, from a public needs standpoint. So I want to get Vince's um, thoughts on this as well. So um, Vince, what, what do you see, you know, in terms of, you know, the stigmas and, um, you know, we touched on that, but you know, how how can we make it? How can we make it better for families? Yeah, so I think um, you know, coming from my personal uh, with my father as well, I think with with the treatment, it's it's great. But again, not everyone's going to have fifty six thousand dollars per treatment, and to 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 uh, take care of that, their family member right away. Uh, and how long would that treatment be? We don't know. And But the thing is that the treatment, yes, the results would happen as we as we go along the treatment. But from from the way I see it, I mean, from my personal side here, is that my, my mother deals with it every day, right? So how, how do we help the people that day in, day out have to live with um, someone that, you know, She's been married to my father for thirty something. You know, as long as I've been uh, alive, right? So thirty five something years, and he was like her, her man, right? Her idol, right? And everything he supported for the family, you know, went to work for twelve, fourteen hours a day, making you know five bucks, six bucks an hour back in the day, and and now that he's so vulnerable, you know, so um, and it's tough for her. Right, um, but now she's trying her best. I just have a seven-month, almost eight-month-old boy as well, and she's trying to, you know, want to spend time with him as well. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always looking for ideas or ways that if we can change from, I would say, from the federal level to help compensate or um, give financial, uh, re, you know, relieve some of the financial burden on those families that have. Um, uh, family members that are on disability with the Alzheimer and dementia to help them out um, on the day to day. It's very tough to for the family to care uh, caregiver to take care of them. Exactly. So you know you're talking about policy change and um, setting up financial uh, support um, in that. Are there some are there some other ways um, in terms of maybe specific programs? that you think that would be really helpful uh, for the um, AAPI group that, that doesn't exist right now? 
Um, well, in in my in my hospice was my hospice days where we had a social worker who can help the family member apply for what they call in-home uh, health services, meaning what the government pays them, the caregivers, the next amount of money to stay home and take care of the family. But um, as I know, you, you you have to be in hospice to expedite those kind of forms going through. Um, and, you know, since my dad doesn't qualify for hospice right now, we're, we are just uh, in the long line as everybody else that doesn't qualify for hospice. So I think if there's some way where policy change can, can help expedite those kind of financial help uh, to maybe if we can get that income and, you know, hire another extra caregiver for my dad to take care of my dad during the day to kind of respite for my mom. Uh, so I think those are the kind of policies that um, I, I really strive to uh, seek out and also uh, with our you know, local uh, um, assemblywoman or senators to help us, you know, with that, push that through. And I think that would be much be gratefully appreciated from all communities, not just the AAPI. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question for you, and that is, um, you know, I'm just curious in terms of, uh, do people in in the um, Asian American and Pacific Islanders communities, do they tend to move out of the house? I mean, like a, a lot of people move into like assisted living or, you know, independent seniors. Uh, you know, is that something that that they generally participate in, or do they like to stay in their own homes? And then I'll tell you why I'm asking that after you answer that question, Vince. The majority, generally, that we take care of our own. Um, mm-hmm. We, you know, you can find a lot of multi generational in the homes that uh, from the patients that my hospice home and health patients. I go there. I see four generations in one home. So with you know our Asian community, we really take care of our own. It's hard for us to just leave our our family member in assisted living, even though it's the best one, but it's. To get that best assisted living, there has to be financial support to back it up. Um, from my previous thing, I've seen you know um, um, uh, people that work in the country back then when they had a fund where you can pay into it to have assisted living costs paid for you. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't believe that fund is still around anymore to support that. So as for someone like my parents coming over here at you know 30 years old. Um, they weren't eligible for those kind of funds at that time. So there's no way for them to save that amount of money uh, or myself to make enough money for them to provide them a good enough place to to, to go into the system living. So we have to do what's best for, uh, you know, for the family fund. It's just really taking care of our own um, and really having to – uh, just be there for our family um, okay. until, you know, the very last day. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's that's what I saw, like, when I sold real estate for 25 years, too. Um, it, it was a very different philosophy of how how we care. I was just wondering, and, again, I, I think of this just big picture-wise. You know, we have all these beautiful complexes that are out there, and they're, you know, all kind of pitching to support independence and you know you can pull in assisted or you can pull in home health care and you can do this and you know when the needs get too strong then you know it's memory care or you know a nursing home whatever but what i what i see lacking is this sense of community which sounds um extremely strong um with the asian american and pacific islanders but i think it's really important for all cultures to still feel connected and and I think one of the one of the types of communities I would like to see is one where they help one another out. That everything doesn't have to be paid for. That this is just kind of what friends do for one another. And um, you know, I've had a couple of people actually come up with some plans um, for um, a housing situation like that. So again, it's it's kind of like a, a new family in some ways um, that supports the actual family. So that everybody feels part of, and there's still this this peer and intergenerational work. So I just thought I would throw that out, um, Doctor uh, Trin. I wanted to get, of course, your your input on this as well, and um, wondering wondering what thoughts you have in terms of how do we provide care for these under resourced and, and um, underrepresented represented um, families and populations that are 
still really suffering, trying to figure out how to deal with dementia and all the related illnesses that come with it. Yes, so what's interesting is that we have a lot of resources um, that are in English. And Mm -hmm. one of the biggest barriers in the AAPI community is obviously a language barrier. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those who live in the community, um, you know, whether it's Spanish or Vietnamese or Chinese, it's usually their primary language, uh, their language of origin. And English isn't uh, a primary language, but the educational resources we have have not all been well translated over to to the primary language. Uh, I know among our community, luckily with Alzheimer's Orange County, we do have a lot of... Uh, of information that have been translated to Vietnamese, but that's not available throughout the country. And and to be able to network these uh, these organizations and nonprofits to local uh, nonprofits that help out in the community that are uh, you know, ethnic related in the community that are entrenched in the community, to to have collaborations between organizations like the Alzheimer's Association with entrenched uh, AAPI community organizations would be great um, to, to make that communication connection in, uh, in the language that's, that's needed to get the message out. Well, I, I think that's brilliant. I would also um, just expand on that. You had mentioned about, you know, kind of this collaboration with nonprofits. I think there's a lot of for-profits. Um, big and small that, you know, should be included in that as well, because I think all resources are of value. That's just my personal personal opinion there. Um, and again, you know, not to plug Dementia Map, but it kind of will be, is that's one of the things we're trying to do is pull everyone together so that they can find local resources, but also that others can find what are the needs and who's doing this and kind of a, a let's collaborate attitude instead of um, you know, this us against them. I, we can just serve so much faster, and it's not like we're going to run out of needs. I mean, there's a ton of needs out there. And if we can learn to, you know, lift one another up for, you know, the greater good of our, our population as a whole globally, I think we all win in that. Um, but maybe I'm just pie in the sky in terms of my in terms of my thought process there. But um, you know, I love that you mentioned, you know, Orange County has really, you know, they've, they've dived into this and said, hey, you know, we have to do something about this. Um, getting, I don't know if, if translation bars on the, the Internet um, or if there are, I know what, there's like translation where you can copy and paste something, but that gets really cumbersome um, for people to do, and a lot of people don't even know how to do that. So I do think it's important to have the, the choices. Um, though I've heard at times there are there are no words for this word we use or that word, or or that's going to come off really different if we use that. That's not really quite what we, what we mean here. Um, but I think it's worth the time for us to, to really dig dig into that for sure. What about, um, do you, Dr. Trin, do you have um, any suggestions for, overcoming some of the um, economical barriers that we have along with the, the, the language and the, the cultural in terms of our messaging um, to this population? Definitely. Uh, from an economic barrier perspective, uh, if we plug in uh, community centers, senior centers, uh, and if we had to fund for some reason, um, you know, programs dedicated to Alzheimer's care or dementia care, uh, there are a good number of grants out there that are available with uh, larger organizations that can can fund a lot of these. Um, when when I go out and do my health talks in the community and in senior centers, uh, we don't charge uh, for it. It's a um, it's a mission of ours to provide you know this type of education as well. Um, but the other big thing I wanted to bring up is, and you know what's interesting, Lori, is when when I'm out in the community talking to folks about dementia and Alzheimer's, 
And I asked a simple question. How many of you guys have ever had a memory test before? Mm-hmm. And only about 50% of hands go up. Um, and so, so obviously, you know, I don't know about the rest of the country, but in Orange County, Alzheimer's is the number three cause of death, right behind heart attacks and cancer. But uh, the issue is we're not even looking for it. We're not even looking for this diagnosis or, or bringing awareness to it through a simple memory test with at the, at the doctor's office. And, and if we're not doing it, you know, in regular doctor's office, imagine the AAPI community. Yep. I'm, yep. I'm sure that's very lacking, right? <laughs> Big issue well, there. That's a that's a great great point, and I know that you know over sixty five they're supposed to be starting these screenings, but I I think we still need a lot of education um, in our medical field in terms of you know how how do we deal with this, how do we approach this, you know what's your bedside manner in terms of delivery, um, you know all of those things are extremely important, and you know and I've heard over the years I've been in this space now since two thousand and nine and. Um, sad to say, I haven't heard the messaging change much um, in terms of people's perceptions of what they're getting from the doctor's office. There's a there's a handful I think that do a great job. Who this is their passion to get out there and change, but the majority don't have the the resources or the knowledge base um, sometimes to even know what this is because it's hard to uh, uh, and I'm not a doctor but I know it's difficult to diagnose too because it can mimic depression and all kinds of different things and so um, that complicates it but people have talked so often about you know if the doctor just gave me some resources I think the way they delivered their message would be so much better because they would they wouldn't be feeling so doom and gloom and so lost like there's nothing I can do and and I hear that repeatedly that it's like the doctor the look in the eyes the tone of the voice everything says there's no hope I'm sorry I have to deliver this message in, instead of what we've done like with breast cancer and stuff you know here's brochures here's all kinds of things I mean they've got aromatherapy and all kinds of stuff going into calm you down and you know so that you can pay attention and and learn and digest and and so i think we've got a long long ways to go but i think memory testing would be fabulous and and it's something you know that should probably be done way earlier than 65. you know we're seeing more people um having issues at a younger age and if nothing else it raises awareness you know, if someone else might be dealing with a parent of, oh, I never even thought this could be the issue, or I just thought it was normal aging. It's an opportunity to educate as well. Um, I also wanted to comment on when you talked about getting into the, the uh, community centers and the senior centers, another one um, that I think really needs to be highlighted is the libraries. Because many of the libraries now, and most people don't know this, many of the libraries have gotten grants and have sections, a section in particular just for dementia. And, you know, because before you didn't know, do I go to self-help? Do I go to the medical section? And they are developing tools um, and kits that families can take home to help them engage. And there's some really cool stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think like you said earlier, it's, Granted, we need more support services, but there are so many out there that so many people don't know. So we have to find a better way to disseminate and also to connect people with all these different grants that are out there. Because there's a lot of people that don't know where to find all this stuff, you know, and you have to hire someone to hunt it all down. And, and there's there's a lack of um, economic ability for a lot of these organizations to even do that as well. And so I think that that's another thing that needs to change. Um, Vince, I want to pull you into this uh, conversation as well in terms of if you had um, anything that you wanted to add about overcoming, you know, the cultural, economic, um, language barriers, you know, in terms of, of our public health messaging out there. Yeah, I think, um, like Dr. Trin mentioned, that Alzheimer's in Orange County is the third leading death. Um, and because I 
if we talk about Alzheimer and the stigma and the support as often as we talk about a patient that, let's say, has uh, cancer or even just being a diabetic, right? So if you bring more awareness and education and, uh, you know, into the community, it's easier for people to talk about and get support because, I mean, as we know, there's a lot of people with diabetic, but they can say, it's very easy to open for them that say, oh, you know, I have to test myself, I have to, you know, watch what I eat, dietary, all that stuff. So I, I think if the community doctors and healthcare professionals are able to educate to the community more often on what the stigma and what the support is and it's out there, um, um, I believe that, you know, the community will start opening up more, and, and it will take some time, but I think it's much needed in our community. Well, and I, I do want to give a, a huge plug for the Alzheimer's Orange County. I mean, if you go to their site, which is allsoc.org, um, they have just a ton of programs and services from adult day to cottages for memory care. They've got classes and workshops and support groups. Um, interfaith outreach that they're doing. They have stuff for early stages professionals. Um, they have um, lots of facts and figures as well. Um, and then they have a variety of events you can get involved in, or maybe you just want to get involved. I think with COVID, we have found, and, and I hope we don't lose this, but you know, COVID, I think, brought to the realization to, to many individuals and families of, wow, there's a lot of needs out there that I can help with. And so people wanted to volunteer. They wanted to get involved. And I'm hoping that organizations really capitalize on that because I don't think it's something that's going to go away. I think it was just amplified during COVID, um, you know, to get people to advocate, um, to become a dementia friend. There are just so many different things that people people can get involved in, but they need to know where to go and um, all um, Orange County um, is, is just a wonderful, wonderful resource there. So I, I appreciate you, you bringing that up. Um, I think messaging and consistency of messaging from many angles is a critical step to make people feel that they are included instead of excluded, um, to make them feel proud instead of shamed. And, um, you know, we do that by telling stories, by, you know, allowing people to, to get comfortable and, um, and be part of instead of, um, I think so often with supports, and, and Vince, I'd love your opinion on this, but I think so often even with support groups, people think, oh, they're going to try to fix me, you know, and, and sometimes we just want to really be supported. People under, understand what's fixable and what's not, um, but how, how you can live a better life, how you can live um, more graciously alongside this disease. Um, thoughts, Vince? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said, Lori. And really, the, uh, I mean, the Alzheimer's, the patient itself, you know, their their mind is, is not totally there anymore, and if that's, it deteriorates, um, I feel like there's a huge burden on the ones that are around the patient. And, and, and if we don't have this type of support for them, I feel like that could lead them to cause other disease and health issues related to the caregiver as well. So, so for myself, I mean, I, I, I try to bring my son over many times for my mom to take care so she can take her mind off and be really happy that, you know, she's with my firstborn. So things like that. Um, but I, I'm really worried that in the long run as this drag out, because my, my dad is only 65, so I really wish he can live to the 80s. But then again, um, that that amount of time in between it, it's, it, it's going to really impact my mother as well. And I, I fear that it would um, limit her life expectancy as well while she could spare them. Um, so we have to uh, not only, only taking care of the patient and paying attention to the patient, but it's everyone around the patient that is really affected. And uh, we, we, even though that patient, is, uh, the caregiver is not diagnosed with the, with the, with the with the dementia or the Alzheimer's, but I think it's the byproduct, right? So 
uh, we have to really take care of our, pay attention to our caregivers that really spend the time day in and day out to take care of those patients. Oh, that's an excellent point. And it would be nice, to, you know, if uh, if in a policy change for these insurance companies that they would cover um, kind of caring for the team. You know, because you go in for an appointment, and, I mean, I was in the other day for, I went into a dermatology appointment or something, and, I mean, she was like, the clock was ticking. She's like, you're two minutes late. And I'm like, well, no, I was here on time. They got me in the room late, you know, and it was like tick, 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 tick. And I think mm-hmm. doctors feel that pressure and yet, so much time is needed, even if it is, you know, I'm, I'm seeing more um, clinics having a team. So, okay, you, you talk with the, the doctor here, you talk with the social worker here, maybe the, the neuropsych over here, where you get more of these pieces that you can get taken care of, but, and that, that everybody sees that you're not just caring for one person, and that's kind of our billing system. But I, I, I think if we're really mm. going to give care, somehow that's got to shift because, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. if, um, and it's common for a care partner to, to pass or get ill as well. And then that shifts the whole dynamics and that, you know, that isn't healthy living. Um, that's not supporting the process, you know, so we do have to really care for, for the, the care partners, carers, care companions, um, caregivers, whatever you want to call them. Um, so many different names. So thank you for that. Um, Dr. Trin, I want to call you back in again as well because, um, and I can't believe we've we're got only about 15 minutes left here. Um, I want to talk about COVID um, and its treatment and the vaccines and the, the illness itself. And how has that affected um, the Alzheimer's and dementia community? You know, we've heard a lot about that and not so much recently, um, but for a while there, you know, it was pretty devastating in terms of what we were what we were seeing in communities, but people really weren't focusing on, on family life. So I, I would, I'm interested kind of in overall, what are your thoughts on how has all of this affected, um, you know, living well with dementia? Thanks, Lori. And um, it has affected the uh, the Alzheimer's and dementia community significantly. We have data. We have published reports uh, showing that uh, those with dementia, those with Alzheimer's, last year uh, did worse in the COVID pandemic than those who did not have dementia. Uh, if you had Alzheimer's and you caught COVID, your risk of dying was higher. You had a, a higher mortality rate. Um, and unfortunately, a, a lot of these outbreaks and, and epidemics uh, initially occurred in, in retirement communities, in nursing homes, in senior centers, in locations where, where our patients live uh, who had advanced, moderate, and advanced Alzheimer's. And, and that made it even worse because you, not, you now have a, a group of patients in one location, all with Alzheimer's, as COVID, you know, spread throughout this location. Uh, we definitely did worse. The, the other thing we've learned is that having COVID can affect you long-term, even after the virus is gone. We have a name for it. We call it the, uh, the long haulers, or uh, the other name is long COVID. And, and there's a, a good amount of data showing that COVID affects your brain and uh, you've heard of post-COVID brain fog. Uh, I've seen a good number of patients with co- post-COVID brain fog. I've seen folks who had Alzheimer's, caught COVID, and although they survived COVID, the decline of memory loss was exacerbated because of the infection. And so it just spread up. It spread memory loss uh, at a faster rate, probably by a number of years, actually, is what I've seen. And, um, and so, so this pandemic is very significant, uh, affecting our community uh, for the worse, unfortunately. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you. And I'm hoping with this new surge that, we, that we've learned some lessons um, to make it not so, not so hard on people. Um, as a as a doctor, you know, with a practice focusing on brain health and the the nervous system, 
um, itself and, and nervous system health. Um, do you have any any trials or programs coming up that our audience should know about? Specific to uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, we uh, usually have several trials running at the same time, and we always have new trials. And you know, we we spoke about the um, the the recently approved controversial you know Biogen medication. Uh, which is a monoclonal antibody that's designed to remove the uh, the amyloid plaque, right, the Alzheimer's plaque from the brain. And and what's interesting to me is I'm sitting here uh, in the seat as a the role of a you know of being part of a clinical trials organization uh, that is specific to Alzheimer's. And what's neat is that the data. Of all the other medications behind aducanumab, right, this first medication approved for, for plaque removal, the information and, and all these other medications running right behind there in, in phase two and phase three and phase one, it actually looks even more exciting for me that, uh, that aducanumab, although not a great medication, very expensive, it's opened the door of awareness and have shined a large spotlight on Alzheimer's, on the presence of the plaque, on, on the research that exists. And, and so it's very, I'm very excited and hopeful with the clinical trials that are, are done at uh, our office uh, in regards to what's, uh, what's in the pipelines. It's very, very hopeful, uh, Lori. Well, and I think that that's a wonderful attitude to have because um, no matter – I mean, you can look around the world at all the crazy things that are happening and is distraught and as upsetting as it can be, um, it opens the door to change and it opens the door to awareness and it opens the door to opportunities. And, you know, if we can focus on those things, um, I, I think, you know, there's, there's no end in sight in terms of what is possible. And, um, and so I think that that's a, that's a really beautiful, beautiful thing uh, to be able to see. And there are so many different types of trials that are out there. Um, I, know, I know I would really like to see, and I don't know what your thoughts are, I'd be interested in this, but I would like to see a little more effort um, in terms of, and this wouldn't be a cure, this would be more of a care uh, type model. Um, but really doing research on the um, social, the, the impact of, of social impact on the disease in terms of different types of engagement, if it's support groups, if, it's, um, if it is uh, theater, if it's um, music in general, if it's uh, yoga, um, all the different types of lifestyle things that we can have a little bit more control of and that we can implement in our life and see what kind of impact that has, not only on the person diagnosed, but the family and those that care for them. And I think that that, you know, that umbrella, we have to kind of widen that umbrella because this isn't, as much as one person gets diagnosed, this is a, this is a disease of society. This is a disease of families. This isn't just, it affects one person. The ripple effect is very large. Um, on an emotional level, on a physical level, on an economic level. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on um, more research in that area to be able to support until we do find an actual cure? Yes, 100%. We actually have data already that shows that a trained and educated caregiver, right, and this is the caregiver, not the patient, if we educate a caregiver on what to expect in the, uh, you know, the, in the natural course of Alzheimer's, I wouldn't say it's natural, but in the course of Alzheimer's in our loved ones, how do you communicate with our loved one? How do you uh, not confront and argue over memory loss? Uh, how do you support your loved one with the disease? The data shows that we can delay that patient from being institutionalized for over a year if we had a trained caregiver. And that is huge uh, from a family perspective, from an economics perspective, from a you know, Medicare spending perspective, and always a trained caregiver. So the, the t- approach needs to be a team approach. 
uh, which is missing uh, in our in our care today. Wow, that's a um, that's a huge uh, a, a huge impact. Um, I think that needs to be raised and looked at much closer because that helps out on so many levels <laughs> that it's is unbelievable. Yeah. I've been loving to see the collaborations that are taking not just within the U.S. but around the world um, together and. You know, I personally feel strongly that the more we can we can focus on our commonalities versus our differences, we're going to ease that isolation. Um, we're going to get more creative. We're going to be open to more learning, um, which will benefit all of us in terms of shifting these perceptions and and also in terms of um, you know finding that cure, finding you know, creative support system. So, um, Dr. Trent, thank you so much for, for being with us today. I really, truly um, appreciate you taking the time. Um, Vince, I do want to pull you back in and see if there are any last comments that you have. Um, no, Lori. I mean, again, you know, coming, I see it from the personal, the family side, and there's a lot of support that, um, again, our policymakers can really recognize uh, this disease that's very strong and it's very not only affecting the, the patient, it's also the, the family that's around it, and, and especially in our AAPI uh, community. So I, I really hope our, our, our AAPI policymakers can really see this and, and make any step possible to help the, the community and the family benefit in it as well. Thank Wonderful. Well, thank you. I do want to um, just mention how people can get a hold of you both. So um, you can go to the 360clinic.md site, um, or you can uh, visit um, allsalzoc.org for the Alzheimer's Orange County site, where you'll get lots of information. And then the, there's a Facebook page for the 360 Clinic MD, if you put that in, um, same with Instagram, and then um, you can get a hold of Vince on LinkedIn, and that is Vince, B-I-N-C-E, and last name is T as in Tom, I-E-N, and then Dr. Uh, Dungtrin, um LinkedIn is, uh, again, you can go to Dung, and that's D-U-N-G, and last name, T-R-I-N-H-M-D, to find him. And again, I, I so appreciate uh, the time that you've both taken with us today. Uh, Dr. Trent, was there anything else that you wanted to add that we hadn't covered? I just want to say thank you so much, Lori, for the opportunity to uh, to meet and chat. And I think the more conversations we have on this uh, huge uh, issue and topic, uh, the better we'll be to uh, be able to collaborate uh, among organizations and uh, groups. Thank you. I I agree too, and I I hope. Um, I, I hope this uh, conversation was helpful not just to Asian American and the Pacific Islanders, but to all. Uh, you know, I think we are we are all in a better position when we understand one another and the needs. And I think we we find out so often that you know our needs are very very similar. They might have to be delivered different. They might have to be delivered in a different language. Um, you know, or a different time of day or whatever it might be to a different generation. But all of those things are of value to all of us to learn. And so I would really encourage people to step up and step in and be part of uh, dementia awareness. Um, Don't be shy about your thoughts and ideas. Um, every, um, Every single service support and tool that is out there was created because of a need. So don't think your need is any less than anybody else's. Get it out there because chances are somebody else um, needs it as well. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Again, I I just appreciate the conversation today. I think it was a really healthy one. Um, I know I learned a lot of things here, and we encourage people to go ahead and check out and connect um, with our guests and their websites uh, for more information. And you can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com for um, more resources that we have or dementiamap.com 
um, which are both free, uh, free and accessible to use as is uh, their sites, um, along with the Alzheimer's of Orange County. So um, don't be shy, connect. We want to hear your voice. And if you think you might be our next guest, um, feel free to reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. Have a blessed week, everyone. Look forward to talking with you soon. Bye now. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.